We often judge and define God by what we're going through instead of realizing it's God's way of defining and refining who we are when we're going through something. True faith says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Men need to learn to live by the honor of a king instead of demanding their rights. Thanks for joining us on Life Journeys, a podcast about thriving through the worst pain that life brings. With global initiatives threatening big changes to our way of life, we're going to need to activate Jesus' words about mountain-moving faith. Words That Work is the ongoing series on life journeys that is rooted in releasing revelational words of faith that will work every time and with everyone. It's about moving the mountains that keep us from the presence and goodness of God. It's about defining our life purpose and identity through encountering Him until we have the power to move the obstacles that are destroying our liberty and hope. Today is about believing God and releasing your faith when hardships persist. Last week, I had a great time as our family came together. However, having chronic fatigue syndrome, the six-hour trip home depleted me. My wife was already sick, so I had to drive the whole way. Upon arriving, the stomach flu showed up. Now we were both sick. After two days of this torture, I got what my wife had which was a stubborn respiratory flu bug. What sustained during this week of fevers and aches and pains was faith being a friend instead of an enemy. You see, we judge God and try to define Him by what we're going through. God, why did you allow this? Instead, what we're going to go through is God's way of defining and refining who we are. He is the standard, not us. Faith doesn't demand God heal us. Faith says, like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. This fallen world just could not survive another day if we were judged by God for what we deserve. We exist by his grace and mercy. Job's big mistake was trying to justify himself instead of God. Too many people today will worship God based upon His healing them. When He doesn't, they get confused or depressed or angry and hopelessly fearful. God allowed the devil to do more against him without cause, the Bible says. Job hadn't done some great misdeed to cause his suffering. Here's what happened. God allowed the devil to take Job's health, his wealth, and his children. God would find out what was in Job's heart for all the world to see. Carefully consider this next statement. If the men of the world would fix their eyes on how they thought God should treat them, they would become consumed by the darkness hidden in their hearts. If they lived to serve God because of who He was, no matter how they were treated, they would come through their refining with the authority of heaven's greater blessings. Too many people today worship God because of what they perceive He should do for them instead of for who He is and what He has already done for them. Remember, here was Job laying in an ash heap, scratching the sores on his body with broken pottery from the dirt. His sons were dead. His finances destroyed. His wife 
telling him, Just curse God and die, Job. From this great valley of death, it's like Job shook his fist at God and said, When I see him, I shall be justified. When God finally showed up, how did he treat Job? There was no, Oh, poor Job, I'm sorry for what I allowed you to go through. It was instead, Where were you when I hung the stars in the sky, Job? Does the rain have a father? Answer me if you know. When Job said meekly, I have nothing to say, God told him to stand up and answer like a man. This was God he was messing with here, and Job had to just learn who it was that he had been trifling with. Yes, even in man's great afflictions, God is still God. Job displays his good and his bad here. My focus is on his declaration, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Listen, God is not a God to be trusted and worshipped simply because he treats us right in our own eyes. He is a God to be served in humility and gratitude all the days of our lives, miserable or happy, because of who he is, not because of what we perceive that he should do for us. His majesty and glory are not to be defined by our lot in life. We simply don't get to define the King of glory, our Creator, our lover and redeeming champion. He defines us by His wisdom and glory, and in His good time. He is our judge. We are not His. He is worthy to be praised and exalted no matter what our life has become. He is the self-existent one whose majesty and honor are in no way diminished by our suffering. Is he any less? Because I am less than the least of the saints. This all comes down to my perception of how he should be treating me, doesn't it? The reality of it is that he is good to the just and the unjust. He's full of mercy and grace and unwilling that any should perish. He gave His only Son to us while we were yet His enemies. It's His nature as a loving Father and a Redeemer to save us. Therefore, it's only my perception of how He should treat me that stands in the way of my faith and unconditional worship. For some day, I will find that He has been far more gracious to me than I deserve. The moment I say, Well, then, why? Why did this happen? What about that? The moment I do that, I begin trying to elevate my reason to the same level as his glory. Now, Job insisted on defending himself before God as if his righteousness was sufficient. His self-justification in the face of his sufferings was wholly inadequate and worthy of God's condemnation. It was the same as us saying today, I haven't been so bad. Why is this happening to me? That's a guaranteed formula for spiritual defeat. No man is just before God. What Job would ultimately learn from the sound advice of his young friend Elihu was to justify God instead of self. This was precisely what would come from Job's trial. Don't try to discern and judge the character of God by what you're going through. Instead, learn what the trial is intended to teach you about yourself.
Job's problem? He was carrying revelation in a carnal cup. He needed refining and enriching in his faith. Remember now, this is for you who are waiting for healing or some other deliverance, and it isn't coming. Faith for healing and any deliverance we need isn't merely about believing God as a healer. It's about believing He is God, the sovereign of eternity who merits our faithfulness because of who He is, not how we feel we should be treated. That's faith. Many centuries ago, Robert I, soon to be King of Scotland, fought on and off alongside William Wallace for independence from England. In one battle, seen in the movie Braveheart, Wallace is defeated and chases after noblemen whom he saw as betraying him. Catching one of them, he pulls off the man's helmet before slaying him, only to find that it was his future king, Robert de Bruce. Wounded, William simply falls back, heartbroken, but he would not harm his future king. Such was the deep loyalty in days of old to the king. There was profound respect for true kings and for heads of households. Today we have all but lost the loyalty to one's nation. Deep in the hearts of some is still the longing for a leader that we would lift up with honor and devotion, but we live instead for a devotion to our own rights, freedom to do whatever we want, and liberty to kill our nation with our own lusts. But so ingrained was the devotion to authority for the first disciples that God would inspire them to write of man's need to obey the governors of the land, and it was written in a time when Rome was killing Christians. Men have gone to war and died for their country. They're patriots. Americans have fought to defend the Constitution, and they have given their lives for our constitutional republic, often called democracy. Others die in battle from dedication to liberty, to their families and neighbors, and to their brothers in arms. In days of old, many gave their lives for their leaders, usually called kings. Their devotion was more to a highly honored monarch than it was to liberty or government or neighbor or brother. They were devoted to their king. They saw in him a noble, honorable, and worthy master and commander. It was built into their hearts to hallow the king of the kingdom that was theirs. The king embodied their nation. He was their nation. He was their heritage for many past generations, and he carried the history, memories, and traditions of their families. Men so united around the king that to lose the king was to lose all hope for the nation. Thus they must have a ready line of succession lest the country fall into total disarray. It was in the hearts of men to be subjects of the king. I'll tie this together in a moment. Democracy today has become corrupt. For the lack of moral fiber has been allowed to grow because it's a government of the people, not of a king. When a people lack a king to lead their hearts, their government is ruled by the passions and morals of the people, or the lack thereof. Today, we fight for someone to lead us who is worthy. He cannot be a reflection of the immorality of the worst among us, the loudest, the richest, or the most cunning. Yet, ultimately, he must be our God and King. 
democracy rises and falls upon the shoulders of heaven's champion. God will allow no other unity to flourish. The Tower of Babel will never be allowed to stand to rule the world. When men have determined that godly men can no longer govern, then the end will come. So must America be a Christian nation? Must we select a national religion? That's not even a valid question, people. There need to be no declarations of religion, for that would make us more sons of hypocrites and legalists. Can we be a Christian nation? That is the question. Or are there men that are determined to see that we cannot be a nation filled with Christians? There are such men today. Our Creator has revealed to us what we are like in the Gospels. We will serve the one who supplies our needs. That's the way we're built. God is our King by virtue of who He is. That must be primary. Then we see that He actively lives, loves, and gives as the great King that He is. For He establishes and activates His kingship by being our all-sufficient source. He is all that we need for life and godliness. In other words, He makes us like Himself, godly. He makes us as kings with Him. He provides all that we need. In this, He will surely test our faith, but in the end, He supplied to Job double of all that He had. A true, worthy king acts like it. He doesn't exude royalty by his status and tradition. He exhibits royalty by his honorably loving, providing for, serving, and saving his people. He doesn't ask me to love my enemies without providing me with all I need, no matter what my enemy may do. I can love my enemy because I am subject to God, not my enemy, and not my own passions. Love. You see, it's the flow of the divine King of Kings that breathes life into the world. You can unlock the presence of God in your life. There are revelation principles that remove the mountains, keeping us from joy, hope, peace, and purpose when our world gets turned upside down. Look for these words that work with Pastor Hardika as he shares what has helped him when life got hard. And don't forget to check out his book, the Fortress and the Firebrand, available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Thanks for listening to Life Journeys. Find new episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. And if you're new to this series, it begins with the September 16th episode. If the men of the world would fix their eyes on how they thought God should treat them, they would become consumed by the darkness hidden in their hearts. If they lived to serve God because of who He was, no matter how they were treated, they would come through their refining with the authority of heaven's greater blessings.